Good morning. We're coming to the end of our 40 days of prayer. This is the uh, 39th day, I believe, that we've been focused with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which means that we've been partnering uh, with fellow believers all across this nation and perhaps even over parts of the world in 40 days of focused prayer. Um, I've been using the Alliance Devotional uh, as a springboard for going after uh, the theme of the day, but going into the scriptures in a deeper way than just a paragraph. Today, we're really looking at something that Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 10, where he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I read a story that, that, that struck me uh, in a commentary about this passage. And it said that there was a, a large oil company that was looking for a public relations officer uh, to work in one of their uh, uh, Far East offices. They, they knew of this missionary who was really good at public relations with the language. And so they wanted this missionary to leave the mission field and come to work for the oil company. And they offered a salary that was so much larger, so much more, uh, you know, luxurious than the church could ever afford to pay. And they thought because they had offered so much money that they could entice the missionary to leave his position. And so um, thinking they had made it difficult for him to say no, they were shocked when the missionary refused. And they asked the question, is it? Is it not enough money? Is the salary not big enough? And the missionary's reply was really simple, but direct. He said, the salary is big enough, but the job isn't. What a powerful story that is of someone who has perspective about what the most important job in the world is. And that job is to preach the gospel and to be an ambassador of Christ, to be a minister of what is God's mission. The clearest of God's mission on this earth is to reconcile human beings to God. Jesus began in Luke 10 expanding the missionary force. He began expanding the number of people in chapter 10 of Luke verse 1. It says, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So here here we see the work of Jesus in the lives of people is he appoints. uh, He appoints people to do his mission, to carry out his mission. Now, this is an interesting stage in Jesus's, in Jesus's ministry. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's going there to suffer and to die in our place. There are so many towns and villages along the way as he goes to Jerusalem. And at this point, he names or he appoints 70 or 72. We'll talk about that a little bit. Nameless people to us. We don't know who they are, but they were obviously followers of Jesus. 
And they were, I love this word, they were appointed by Jesus. It's a, it's actually a, a, in classical Greek, it's a military term. It was a soldier being assigned to a post or an official being given an office. So here is their calling. Here's their assignment. It's a post that Jesus, the commander, has given them. It's, it's, it's an office that the king has appointed them to. This is so important that you and I begin to understand that anything that we're asked to do and led to do by the Holy Spirit is an appointment by the king. It's, it's an assignment by the, our commander-in-chief. So this is, every word in Scripture has meaning. It's God-breathed. But when, sometimes these words catch my breath a little bit. It says he appointed 72 others. You can, you can read fast and kind of pass over that. But if you go back a chapter, you see the appointment of the 12. So here's those that we call the 12 apostles, uh, including Judas at this point. But then in chapter 10, he uses identi- almost identical language that he used with the 12, and now he appoints 72 others. Now, the, the, the 12 he appointed to go into Galilee. Now, these 72 he appoints to go into Judea, into the villages and towns of Judea. Um, there's a message here for the 12, a message for us as well. Because you start to see the 12 thinking themselves elevated. As a matter of fact, they have a discussion in Luke 9 about who's the greatest of the 12. So now, you know, they've felt like they've been narrowed in and chosen into this elite company. And then they want to know who's the most elite of the elite. So there was a jealousy over their own position and their jealousy as a, you know, for their position as a group as well. And Luke 9, this is one of the reasons I love the scriptures is it's, such a genuine portrayal of human interaction. In Luke 9, chapter 49 and 50, the apostle John speaks to Jesus and says, Master, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. And Jesus answered, do not stop him for whoever is not against you is for you. Man, what a powerful statement. John, John wants it to be limited to this elite group. And Jesus said, no. It reminds me of Moses going back. Joshua was upset because because there were two people prophesying who weren't doing what Moses, you know, had asked them to do or they were in the town or with the people. And and so Joshua comes to Moses and tells tells Moses to tell them to stop it. Instead, Moses said, I wish everyone would prophesy. See, there's a, there's a sense in which we, we start to u- use our appointment or our title or our position to exclude others, or there's a point at which we think because we don't have a title or a position that we are excluded. And Jesus is trying to drive home a point that when you are acting in Jesus' name, when you're preaching the kingdom of God, you're doing so under the appointment of the Lord Jesus Christ and the anointing 
of the Holy Spirit. I, I don't know how this happened in some ways. I've studied it in history, but here we have this clear teaching where Jesus expands the number to ordinary followers who operate with the same authority, who operate with the same results as the 12. And yet we continually in every generation, we think that the the work of the gospel and the, the signs and the wonders and all these other things are for just the select few. But Jesus didn't He didn't exclude others. He brought an inclusivity beyond the 12. When you look at the scriptures, there are names. We don't spend a lot of time studying the names, but there are names that are are more than 12. I mean, wonderful people like Timothy and Priscilla, Barnabas, John Mark, Aquila, Phoebe. All of these people are appointed by their commander-in-chief. All these people are positioned by the king of kings. You know, when you tell people about Jesus, you may think, well, I'm, I'm taking the initiative, and in a way you are, but it's because you're appointed by Jesus to speak to people. And the truth is, he leads you to speak to people who are ready, who are ready to hear. It's not just for the elite few. It's for every believer. And then... He talks about, Luke uh, records that they, you know, the calling of Jesus was a sending forth. And it's interesting because the, the word that uh, Luke uses is the word uh, apostello. In other words, Jesus sent them with a commission. Now, in a way, you know, there's controversy today over whether people should be called apostles or not. In some ways, the title itself, you could say that the 12 were apostles with a capital A, you know. But this idea of Jesus sending us apostolically, sending us with commission, sending us by appointment, it's, that is a very apostolic description of ministry and of, of life in Christ and in the Spirit. And, and so these 72 were kind of, in a sense, apostles with a little a, just like you and me. <laughs> there, there's an apostolic call on every believer's life to, to be sent by Jesus, appointed and anointed, to accomplish the task of Jesus, to be his witnesses, to be his ambassadors, whether it's preparing the way for the Lord like they did in this case, or it's to bring the good news and to see the harvest uh, of the Lord. There's, there's significance in the number even. Uh, if you are a bit of a Bible student, you'll notice that there are variants in the text, whether it's 70 or 72. Uh, again, the exact number here is not the essential thing. Uh, but the idea of 70 or 70 plus 2 is, is really referring back to a, a, a universal appeal of the gospel all the way back to Genesis chapter 10 where there were 70 nations. And so the idea is somewhat the idea of 70 witnesses for 70 na- nations. The gospel has this, 
has from the beginning, and Jesus' assignment from the beginning was to the whole world. And he sent them two by two. What's the significance of that? Well, I mean, you could say, well, for fellowship and accountability and support. But in a way, it's, it's deeper than that. Uh, in the scriptures, a truth is established by two witnesses. And so Jesus always sent out two witnesses of himself. And they knew his testimony. And then they testified. They were the witnesses who proved to be reliable and trustworthy and dependable. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was establishing the testimony of the gospel, of the good news, of what God had done and would do for his people. So it's a message to the nations. It's a trustworthy message. And, it, and Jesus is, is, is sending them out into Judea. And they were... They themselves, though they testified of Jesus, they were testifying of what they had seen and heard. And they spoke to the people and said, the kingdom is near. You know, they say, look at the signs of the presence of the kingdom, all the mighty works that are being done. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. So here we have this setting, that Jesus is about to die for our sins. But prior to this, his sacrificial and substitutionary death, he is announcing the inauguration of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of heaven come to earth, of the kingdom and rule of God coming to reign and rule in the hearts of men and women. And the, the, the authenticating the affirmation of that inauguration of the kingdom were the signs and the wonders of the kingdom. That where the kingdom was, death had no, no more reign over human hearts. Where the kingdom was, blindness was ended and, and sight was given. Where the kingdom was, sickness could not, could not exist because the kingdom made no space for sickness. And so... You kind of say as you look at this and the, and this, the timing of this is these seventy were appointed for one of the most important seasons in the history of the world that they would be those who would witness to the and affirm that Jesus has brought the kingdom of God. Now, there's something in this passage. Uh, again, I'm I'm connecting I'm connecting this to our prayers and to our own ministry. But there are some things in this passage that tell you that there are seasons when living out your calling or there are times and there are places where those who are called into, you know, um, unreached people groups or who are called to reach into areas uh, where the gospel has not taken hold. There are times and there are seasons where the same truths that Jesus spoke to the 70, or the 70 plus two, are true of us today. Now, here's what Jesus says, is that when he's calling you, he's calling you into the harvest. And this was a grain harvest time. And, and grain, the grain was pulled up either by the roots or it was cut with sickles. 
and then it would be spread out on the threshing floor and the stalk, the, the chaff, and the grain were cut apart by animal hooves, by the beating of sticks, or by threshing sledges. Then the grain was separated from the chaff by winnowing. In its simplest form, it involves throwing the mixture into the air so that the wind blows away the lighter chaff while the heavier grains fall to the floor. So then the, the finished product, the grain, was then bagged, hauled away for storage or, or for sale, and the chaff itself was burned. So if there was a great crop, if there was a great harvest, this threshing and winnowing process could last a long time. But as if, if you're hearing what I, my description, you realize this is backbreaking work. This is a lot of work. So Jesus is referring to the harvest, not as an easy time, but a hard time, a difficult time. And it is made even more difficult, and Jesus makes this clear, it made even more difficult if there are not enough workers. So when there is a harvest, when there is a good crop, the season of winnowing, threshing, separating the grain from the chaff, is a back-breaking process. So Jesus isn't talking about a time of ease. He's not talking about a time when, you know, it's just, you're just going to go and pick and have the fruit and have the, the, the produce without any work whatsoever. He's referring to a difficult, long season. But he's especially referring to the fact that without other workers, it's made even harder. This is what he's talking about. From the time of his resurrection, from the time of the release of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, has been a season of bumper crops throughout the world. But we continue to see how hard the harvest is, how difficult the winnowing and threshing process is. And what Jesus says is one of the problems is that there are, are not enough workers. Um, think about... Uh, the number of people who are without Christ in this world. Uh, let me put it a couple of ways. If you were to draw a line that's 750,000 miles long, which would reach around the earth 30 times, which grows 20 miles longer each day, that line would be the line of people who are without Christ. So the harvest is there, 750,000 miles of harvest. And yet, it's 750,000 miles, a line of people without Christ. The harvest is there, Jesus said, again, but it takes the winnowing, it takes the threshing, it takes the separation. And without enough workers, not only is it not done, but it takes so much longer. Uh, let me give you a second one that touched me. I mean, I guess that provoked me. A pretty famous pastor in Georgia was a pastor of a, a Baptist church, a large Baptist church in one of the counties of Georgia called Cobb County. This is a suburban county of Atlanta. The church was a large church. And he wanted to place his church into the realm of TV ministry. 
but he wanted to he wanted to reach into the counties in America that were the least churched. And so he contacted a, a, a research department of his denomination and asked them, would you give a list of the most unchurched counties in the land? And to his utter astonishment, his county, Cobb County, was one of the most unchurched counties in the whole of the United States of America. Sometimes we don't, we don't realize that we're living we're living in the harvest. We're living where there is a bumper crop. But we're thinking about places other than our own. Here was a successful church, but had no idea that their own county was one of the most unreached counties in the world. So we're not just talking about overseas. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This job is so big and so difficult that many of us choose not to take the appointment of Jesus. Many of us choose not to take the office that the king has made us um, worthy of and maybe even aware of, but we don't want to step into it because of the responsibility, the difficulty, and because we're not really necessarily hearing his, his voice and his call clearly. Now, there's, a, there's an aspect of the call that, that has to be counted as a cost, obviously. You know what Jesus said? I mean, he's sending out the 70, or 70 plus 2, and he says, Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Oh, my. It doesn't sound like an easy task. So, <laughs> I haven't given you a good sales pitch today. One... The harvest itself is backbreaking work. If there's a bumper crop, it might take all summer, all of the season. And if there are not enough workers, it's that much harder. And then Jesus says, it's dangerous. Not only is it hard work, he says, but it's dangerous work. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. I mean, I, I've seen this on the mission field. Uh the level of danger that people are under uh, when they, when they, particularly when they give their lives to cross culture and to cross into, into other territories. I mean, that could be at home or abroad. But I remember this one team that I knew that was, was uh, in Bogota, Colombia, back in the 80s. And, uh, and it was a team from a a denomination that did not really believe in spiritual warfare and did not know how to pray or or deal with spiritual warfare. But the team was was eager to go and plant churches in the city of Bogota. And I love the city of Bogota. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. And they went into that city unprepared spiritually. And within a very short amount of time, um, the entire team was taken out either by accidents, sicknesses, or just stress. And I remember these were good people. I knew them. Um, and, and it was a very short period of time that the team was utterly decimated by circumstances. Now, I don't, you know, again, I, I, they didn't know anything about spiritual warfare. They didn't know how to do any kind of warfare praying. 
But at the same time, it, it, it revealed that this is, you know, it's more than just having a good program and good people. There is a spiritual element to this that must be counted when you begin to do the appointment of the Lord Jesus. I mean, in some ways, it's why the anointing of the Holy Spirit is so essential, but it's also why being aware of Satan's schemes is so essential. There will be attacks on anyone carrying out the commission of Jesus because there were attacks on the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, there's an urgency to the calling, Jesus says. He told them, don't take a purse, don't take a bag or sandals. They were Jesus is treating this so urgent that they couldn't even be distracted by supplies. He even told them, and this is this is counter to traditional society that they came from, that if they see someone on the road, they weren't to greet them because greetings were ritualistic and and very sophisticated and cultural, and they were supposed to just keep going on their task. They were to even ignore these kind of social niceties and the rigidity of of their cultural construct and and get to the place where they were supposed to go to do the mission that Jesus had for them. You see, the importance of the work that Jesus has to you for you is more urgent than anything else. This is a problem for many of us. We get distracted by so many things. And Jesus says, no, this, this that I'm calling you to and anointing you for and appointing you to is the most urgent thing in your life. And then... Um, just to f- follow up with this 70 and what Jesus taught through this, through this mission is it's a mission of eternal consequences. He who listens to you, Jesus said, listens to me. He who rejects you, rejects me. But he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Jesus speaks up about three of the towns in, in Galilee that that he went to and was rejected by, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. He says these pagan towns, these wicked towns of Sodom and Tyre and Sidon, that they would have repented if they had seen, but these religious towns, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, rejected him. What a word, huh? He's saying the pagan cities would have repented, but the religious cities saw the signs of the kingdom but chose instead to ignore and to reject. Think about it for a minute. We have, we have this situation in our world, and here's how one writer describes it. It says, if, if you were to reduce our world into a village of just a thousand people, you would find, culturally, ethnically, I mean, you would find 564 Asians, 210 Europeans, 80 South Americans, and 60 North Americans. Think about that for a minute. And if you reduce the world, these are the percentages. 564 Asians, 210 Europeans, 80 South Americans, 60 North Americans. Out of that, out of that thousand, you would have 300 Christians, 175 Muslims, 128 Hindus, 55 Buddhists, and 47 animists. So in other words, even though out of a thousand, you see, it, you know, again, we, the, it could be a nominal profession of Christianity, but you have 300 people that in some way, shape, or form are affected by Christianity. 
but 700 out of the 1,000 are not. So there's still plenty of work, but Jesus calls that work harvest work. That there is threshing and winnowing, and there's finding that good seed to be done. And so Jesus says the job is difficult. He says it's dangerous, sending you out like sheep among wolves. It's urgent. Don't even take your bag, he said. And he says, they reject you, they reject me. It has eternal consequences. But Jesus himself is the one who said, it's not impossible. Why is that? Because the Lord of the harvest is Jesus. The Lord of the harvest is the one who makes the decisions about harvest time. He's the one sending out the workers. The Lord of the harvest is Jesus. He's the one who blesses the seed, the sower, the sun, and rain, the harvester, so that a bumper crop may be harvested. He calls the 700 unreached people. He calls that, set, that line of 750,000 miles. He calls it a harvest. He calls it a bumper crop. And he says, here's what I want you to do first and foremost. Pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. We're not to pray for an easier job or a safer job, a less urgent job. We're to pray for more workers. Why? Because something happens when there's a harvest and there are more workers to do the harvest. And Jesus says, it's so plentiful, but there's not enough workers. So here's the most important job on earth, difficult, dangerous, urgent, has eternal consequences. But the Lord of the harvest said, pray, pray. So if, if, if this is making sense to you today, like it has been to me, there's a heartbreaking aspect about our world that many people without any believing Christians to evangelize them. And yet, at the same time, this story stirs me because Jesus says, begin to appeal to me, the Lord of harvest, to pray. He appeals to the church to pray. So will you join with me in interceding for more workers to be called, equipped, sustained in their calling so that we can complete Christ? appointment, his commission. Uh, again, I'm not sure that the title of apostle matters. I am certain that the work of, of the apostle work, apostolic work of reaching lost people under a commission, under an appointment of Jesus is the single most important thing. And so I think we're supposed to pray and we're supposed to call on the Lord of the harvest because the harvest is plentiful. See, when you see that line of 750,000 miles, or if you think that we're in a village of 1,000 people and 700 don't know Jesus at all, and some have never even heard his name, doesn't it stir your heart to say, Lord, as you sent out the 70 plus two, will you not thrust forth laborers into this harvest field, into this bumper crop? Let's pray that together. O oh, Lord of the harvest. Uh, at least that story about Cobb County in Georgia really convicted me because I'm sure I live in one of the most unreached counties in one of the most unreached regions of the world. Oh Lord, send forth laborers into the harvest and sustain us, all of us, by this word today that you are the Lord of the harvest, that you're the one who equips, you're the one who appoints, 
You're the one who tells us it's urgent, it's dangerous, but you're the one who tells us that the words we speak have eternal significance, that if they reject us, they reject you, and if they reject you, they reject the one who sent you. Oh, how serious this is. I pray, Lord, for our international workers, that that back-breaking work of threshing and winnowing, of separating the grain from the chaff, Lord, that work, not only would you send them other workers to work alongside them, but in the name of Jesus, will you sustain them in the difficult harvest work? Lord, lay on our hearts individuals that we need to pray for. We choose to share the burden that you have for this world. That you're the God who left the 99 to find the one. You're the God who, when one coin was had been lost, you swept the entire house just to find the one coin. When the one son was lost, you ran to greet that one lost son. Lord, may our heart be filled with the th- same things that stirs your heart for lost people. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for sharing these days with me. What a pleasure to be in God's word together and pray together. God bless you.